Glad uh, that, you know, we're, we're going to deal with the whole season of this. Uh, I don't look forward to it like Brooke looks forward to snow, but uh, I'm just thankful that, uh, you know, we've got technology now. You know, COVID, uh, if you haven't heard this, COVID forced us to get on the technology side real quickly. And uh, so even if you don't feel comfortable or you need to stay home or you're sick, you can watch us online at the same time. And I, praise God for that. You know, I it just little things like that that are a blessing that God's been able to do. And uh, you've probably heard me say a time or two that the West Coast watches our services more than anyone in the United States. And I say, praise God, you know, praise God. Uh, if God will use a little church out in the middle of nowhere to get to Washington and Oregon State, praise God. You know, I say, thank God for that. Uh, but that also means we got to pray for them too. I don't know who those people are. Nobody's reached out yet. Uh, but I'm telling you what, there are uh, people that need, that are hungry for the word. And I'm glad that there's people hungry for the word right here. And I'm glad he gave us the word. You know, I was just thinking uh, the other day, I'm glad he gave it to us in our language. I'm glad he, it's simple. Uh, there are parts that are hard to understand, but it's simple. You know, it uh, that you can read through the entire thing and you can stop and start over again and I'm thankful for it but John 12 we're going to start in verse 20 uh, this morning this uh, I, I tell you what there's nothing like this uh, John 12 20 there uh, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast the, the same came therefore to Philip which was Bethsaida of Gal Galilee and desired him saying sir we would see Jesus Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip telleth Jesus. And Jesus answered, answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much, much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we ask that you'd just help me to preach. Lord, that you'd fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Open up our ears and our hearts. Touch us today, Lord, with your truth, and Lord, let us apply it to our lives, not just add it to our heads, but Lord, let it change us. Lord, if there's any lost, I pray that they'd come to know you before it's too late. Lord, edify the church today in Jesus' name, and amen. amen. So this is near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He had just risen Lazarus from the dead. Uh, he'd made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, or Palm Sunday, we would call it today. Uh, he had cleansed the temple the second time, and, and Judas had just agreed to betray Jesus. So we know that the cross is only a few days away uh, at this point. Uh, and we see a group here, verse 20, uh, kind of a change in what's going on, a certain Greeks among them that came up to the worship at the feast, uh, uh, they, uh, so they came to Philip and then they said, sir, we would see Jesus. So this passage uh, begins with a group of Greeks and, and you know, the Bible actually talks about who, what the Greek people were like in those days, not everybody, but the majority of them. First Corinthians one twenty two says the Greeks uh, are men that seek after wisdom. Then Paul in Acts 17.21, he was in Athens, uh, and in Acts 17.21 says, For all Athenians and strangers which were spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. 
So we have a description of the Greeks. They were seeking knowledge. They were those that came into Athens. People would come and go, and, and what they would kind of uh, uh, surround some of these new people, and they just wanted to hear some new thing. You know, isn't that this world today? They just want to hear something new. They want to hear some new religion, some new idea, some new uh, uh, you know concoction for life or whatever. Uh, that's what they want today. Uh, but this group should stand out. Right, because they weren't there uh, to hear some new thing. Uh, the Bible tells us in verse 20, they were come to worship. That's specific. They were come to worship at the feast. So they, they didn't want to hear something new. They wanted to actually come to Jerusalem and to worship. So they would have participated in some of these things during the feast. They would have went some of the rituals that they were allowed to go through and things like that. Uh, but aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? Uh, it says at the end of 21, sir, we would see Jesus. Right? Their idea was we're going to come to Jerusalem. We're going to worship like the Jews do. We're going to participate in this thing. And after they participated in some of it, they realized we just don't want to come to Jerusalem to worship. We want to worship Jesus. Amen? Amen? Uh, that, that's a breakthrough right there is what we see with this group. And I'm here to tell you today, we've come to this church and yes, we've got order, and yes, we do things generally in a certain order. Sometimes I, I've been known to flip the service upside down, and it scares some people. But, uh, you know, generally we do things kind of a, in a similar fashion. But I'll tell you one thing. I don't want to go through the motions today. I don't just want to come in here uh, and, and, you know, sing two songs and do this and do that and then leave uh, thinking, I, I want to worship Jesus, right? When we come in here, we're to worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. And that, that's the danger. That's, a, that's one of the big problems the Jews ran into. Yes, they had the Old Testament. Now they added to it. But they were going through the motions and missing when Jesus was right in front of them. I don't want that today. Amen. I hope you don't either. We're worshiping the God that created the universe, then died for the universe and rose again. Amen. That's Jesus. Amen. And this passage, the beginning of it, reminds me of the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember in Acts, he came uh, uh, to Jerusalem and he was also wanting to worship. He was wanting to figure things out and, and on the way back. So he's heading back to Ethiopia. He had purchased a scroll of Isaiah and he's reading through it, trying to figure out what he had seen, what he had heard, different things. And that he was desiring to really see God for who he was. He was desiring. He didn't know it yet, but he was looking for Jesus too. And the Holy Spirit sent Philip, right, to, the, uh, to his chariot. He just so happened to, to be reading Isaiah 53, and the Holy Spirit uses that to, for Philip to preach Jesus to him. He gets saved, they stop the chariot, and he gets baptized. I'm here to tell you, I believe if someone that's lost really wants to know the real Jesus, he'll reveal himself. Yes. Amen. Amen. But you know what else? I, I don't know who these Greeks ran into. I don't know who they talked to. I don't know how they figured out that they needed Jesus. And I, I, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, all these different answers, but I'll tell you one thing. I want to be somebody that when maybe they're seeking God, when they come in, they, th they realize I want Jesus. I don't want the generic God. I don't want the God of this world that's made up. I want Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what we need. That's, we need to be a picture of Jesus Christ. 
So that way our, our lives are used by him to draw men to him. So then Philip comes to Andrew, Andrew, and they come to Jesus. Jesus answers in verse 23, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, if you are a reader of the Bible, when it says the hour is come, that should click in your mind. And you should say, now, wait a second. There's a handful of times where the hour was not there yet. It hadn't come. And now Jesus is saying the hour's come. In fact, real quick, the, way, the wedding of Cana of Galilee, remember Jesus' mother, came to him uh, with the problem there was no wine Jesus answered in John 2 4 uh, woman what have I to do with thee mine hour is not yet come and then fast forward John 7 29 Jesus is teaching in the temple uh, he's answering the religious leaders questions about the Messiah uh, and then he tells them but I know him for I am from him and he hath sent me and uh, their response is they sought to take him but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. John 8, the next chapter, Jesus teaching in the temple. He's telling them that if they truly knew the Father, then you would know Jesus too. Amen. You can't separate the two, by the way. They're together. John 8, 20. These words spake Jesus in the treasury uh, as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come. Over and over again, the hour was not ready. The time had not come. You realize even though the Jews tried to speed up getting rid of Jesus, they could not. This is God's timetable. You know, we want to speed up the rapture. We want to speed up different things in God's timetable. You and I, my friend, we are not going to speed God up or slow him down. He's got a plan. He's sovereign. He's ruling and reigning. Uh, the hour had not come, uh, but now the time, it says the hour is come. There's a change now. No more will Jesus walk away from the mob, right? The next mob that comes to arrest him, Jesus is going to allow uh, them to arrest him uh, when he's betrayed by Judas. But there's also no more teaching that's coming soon. No more parables. Uh, he said those things would, uh, those words would end when the hour has come. And then at the end of John 11, remember Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The chief priests and the religious rulers, they come together. They're meeting together, figuring out. They're worried because they're thinking all men are going to turn to Jesus because he raised him from the dead. Uh, John 11:49, and one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. So here's Caiaphas, the religious leaders, all planning and plotting together that they're going to get rid of Jesus so that way uh, their lives can be better, the nation can prosper, and everything else. They had no idea this was God's plan all along, right? They thought it was their luck and timing and convincing Judas to betray and everything else. No, it was none of those things because the Bible says he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Amen. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And one of the other things I notice is in Jesus' three and a half year ministry on this earth. Remember, he ran into a Gentile mother that had a possessed daughter. Matthew 15, 24, he responded to her and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
And her story, remember, she showed great faith by answering Jesus, saying, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. When not only is it the hour that Jesus was going to die on the cross and, and, and uh, go towards the cross to die for the sins of the world, it's also leading to the hour uh, where the what we call today the church age, leading to the hour where the Gentiles were not eating off the crumbs of the master's table. Uh, we are right there. Aren't you glad uh, that uh, you look further down in the passage, verse 26, if any man serve me, right? It doesn't say if Jews serve me, right? If any man serve me, let him follow me and where I am, there uh, shall also be my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Verse 32, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto yeah. me. Aren't you glad that that hour was the shift? Now again, we have not replaced the Jews. Uh, the Jews are still God's chosen people. Yeah. He still has promises for them. But during this church age, aren't you glad? Uh, there's no difference. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Romans 10.12, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. They'd come to worship. They'd come to see what was going on. And I, before this time, they might not have been able to get an audience with Jesus. You never know. But now, all men can call on his name. Aren't you glad we don't have to check where Jesus is going to be today, try to get to that town, fight the crowd, climb up a tree or whatever to try to see him? We can call on his name at any time. He's accessible to all of us. The hour had come. Aren't you glad the ground is level at the cross? Whether you're rich or poor, educated or not, uh, it doesn't matter your race, where you were born, or anything else, the language you speak or your skin color. The only thing that matters is have you heard the truth about Jesus' death uh, for the sins of the world, his resurrection on the third day, uh, uh, triumphant over sin? And the question is, are you willing to believe it? And then that's great if you believe it. Are you willing to repent and turn from your old life? And then are you willing to call on his name for salvation? That's the difference right there. Not Jew or Greek or anything else. And here's the thing. What started in the book of Acts, like I said, the church age that we call it today, it's open to all. It's open to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are the ones that mainly have received Jesus at this point. But aren't you glad that one day another hour is going to come where he calls his church home. Amen. Calls his bride home. And that it's back to the Jews, I believe. He's got unfinished business with Israel. He's got unfinished promises and he's going to take care of them. I don't know how. And I don't need to worry about that. I'm just worried about where he's put me right now. Just doing what God's called me to do. Look at verse 24. Jesus also says this. Barely, fairly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Yes. He's giving a metaphor here, right? An illustration. He's talking about a seed that's got to be put in the ground. It's got to die before a plant can spring up out of the ground. That's not hard to understand, is it? We've seen that we've, in our lives. We've learned that from early on. Uh, but here's the thing, in that time, in all the times around this that Jesus said over and over again that he was going to die. You know, this wasn't a, 
It was a surprise, but it shouldn't have been a surprise, right? Jesus said he would die. He said, in fact, he even said, uh, if I, later on, if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. He was even saying how he was going to die. They're going to lift him up on the cross. And then Isaiah 53, of course, describing all of these things. But they were confused because they thought the Messiah would come, defeat the Romans, set up his throne, and rule without dying. So every time Jesus talked about dying, they were like, whoa, 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 hold on. Or they were confused. They missed all of it, especially, like I said, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. He, he was going to die. He was going to be, uh, by his wounds, by his stripes, we were healed and everything else. Jesus had to die first to pay for the sins of the world. Then he will reign over the world. Amen? Because if Jesus reigned without dying first, he'd have nobody to rule over because we'd all be dead. We'd all be dead in our sins. But today we know the rest of the story. It's easy, isn't it? After you've read the whole story about Jesus, it's easy to put yourself in this spot right here and say, well, I, my goodness, why didn't they understand this? Why didn't they figure it out? He, he had to die. Of course he did. But then look at verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. This is where the amens quit, right? This is where it gets a little quieter. People start to tune out the sermon, think about lunchtime and everything else, right? This is where when we're reading in our Bible, we kind of skip over this verse and go to the next one. But believe me, verse 25 is just as true as verse 24, isn't it? Right? If we, we're amening that the seed falls in the ground, it dies, right? Jesus died to bring life, right? We, we love that. Then we get to verse 25. Now, hating your life doesn't mean ending your own life. But hate has another definition that the Bible often uses. It just means to love less. Right? Hating your life here means giving it up for Jesus. Loving it less than the, the way the world does. Because here's the truth. You can give your money to the Lord and you should. Right? You should give what's, you give what's owed to Caesar and what's due him. And you give what's due to the Lord. We should do that. But you can make more money. Amen. You can replace money. It may not be as easy sometimes, but you can. But what can't we replace? That's time. Right? Once time is spent, you can't, you can't go order more of that. You can't redo it. You can't do anything like that. And he's saying, he that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. The question is, do we really believe the Bible? Of course we do. Yes. Do we really trust Jesus? Yes, we trust him with our life. We believe that he brought eternal life for all that would trust in him. But why do we struggle with verse 25? If I hand over this life to him, what will he give me in exchange? Right? Will we be rewarded in eternity? James 4.14, Whereas we know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. You think about the pot where the steam is rolling off of it. And what happens? You watch. If you ever try that, watch. Try to pick a point and watch how fast it goes up and disappears. Amen? Yeah. That is our life. That's what the Bible says our life is. Even if you live to 75, your life is but a vapor. It is that quick. And you've heard me say it. 
What is the trade-off? The life that's a vapor, Jesus wants us to trade that for eternity. Right? Serve me here in this vapor of a life now, and then later you'll be rewarded with eternal life. Now, we are not gaining eternal life. We are saved by Jesus Christ as uh, not of works, but as of faith, right? But there are rewards that the Bible talks about. I don't know all the details. But I will say this. We will, as Christians, stand before Jesus Christ. And he will look at that vapor of a life. And we will give an account for the point that we're saved until he's called us home. So he's saying, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Are we doing that? Are we serving him now by loving our current life less? Why do we hold back? Right? Why do we hold back in this life? Why do we give sometimes so little of our lives to Jesus, who gave so much to us? Well, here's some questions. Have we, forget, have we forgotten our calling? Have we forgotten what God's called us to do? Have we forgotten that we're paid, we're bought with a price, his precious blood? Have we forgotten those things? Or do we just not fully trust Jesus? I mean, we trust him in other areas, but this is the future. Remember, the same as the disciples. They were confused about why does he keep talking about dying? But they needed to trust him. Same with us. Yeah. We got to trust God in the future. We trust him today, but we got to trust him in the future too. Amen. Or are we just refusing to stop loving our current life today? That could be some. Just, well, you know the truth. You've heard it. You know that the Bible's plain. You're just telling God no. And here's the truth. I've seen people come to this church and have left because of this very topic right here. They are tired of hearing of how they need to serve God as a Christian. They thought, no, I'll just become a Christian and I'll just keep living my life how I've lived it before. No, we're a new creature in Christ. All things are made new. We, in Sunday school, uh, you know, this is a coincidence, right? We were in Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. The Bible's saying that vapor of a life giving the entire thing to me is reasonable. Amen. Is it? Was that reasonable? Hmm. We can barely give anything back to Jesus Christ. If we're honest with ourselves, we can't really repay him. But he's saying, you want to repay me? You, want to, you know what the reasonable thing is? You give your life back to me, the life that I've given you, you give Amen. it back to me. Amen. That's it. That's it. Amen. That's it. We're not going to stop preaching it because the Bible talks about it too much. And it's our job today. But also means we've got to stop and look in the mirror sometimes and ask ourselves, why am I holding back? Now, this doesn't mean you abandon your job, you abandon your family, you abandon all these things. No, we've got responsibilities. I can't stop being a father and just say, well, it's because I'm going to give my life over the Lord. I'm just going to abandon my family. No, that's not what we do. We've got to juggle things in our life, and it's hard. But I'll tell you what, every time in my life I've sought first 
the kingdom of God and yeah. his righteousness. Yeah. He's added everything unto me, right? He's taken yeah. care of everything. He's given me time when I haven't had it. He's done these things. And here's the thing. The hour was come for Jesus to set forth to, the, to Calvary. Amen? But I believe the hour has come for the church to stop loving their life and turn it over to Jesus. Amen? If you're not there yet, you need to. You need to get there. And of course, the hour has always come if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. He died for you. There's nobody that's done anything anywhere near what he's done. For your sins so that you can be saved and spend eternity with him instead of an eternity in hell. He loves us today. He's done so much for us today, but he's called us. And I believe it's on purpose that we don't know what happened to these certain Greeks. Whenever we don't get the end of it, I believe it's because it should make us think. Who are the certain Greeks out there today that are maybe going to try to worship Trying religion, trying something, go to a certain place, talk to a monk, do whatever. They need Jesus. Amen? Amen. They need Jesus. Are we going to help them get to Jesus? Or are we going to hinder it today? Because guess what? If the church does not tell people about Jesus, the real one, nobody will. Amen. Nobody will. It's our job. I'm going to ask everyone to stand.